Hello and welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a regular podcast for film club leaders to explore exciting new titles with their clubs. My name is Michael and as usual I'm joined by Joe. Hello. And this is our fourth episode of 2018. In today's secondary theme podcast we'll be discussing two new releases to celebrate the theme of child's eye filmmaking and they are I Am Not A Witch and The Florida Project. So let's kick off with I Am Not A Witch. I'm Not A Witch is a 15 certificate from the BBFC and that's because of moderate threat and bloody images and we have it at 14 plus on the catalogue. It sees a young girl in an African village be accused of witchcraft and then exiled to a witch camp in the middle of the desert. Now I haven't seen this film. Joe, I hope mm. you can tell us a bit more about the plot and what happens in this one. Yeah, well, I can try. Uh, so the film takes place in a remote Zambian village and tells the story of Shula, who arrives in this village by herself and finds herself very quickly accused of witchcraft by a local man. And at which point she's given this very strange ultimatum whether she has to either join with this travelling witch camp or she will be turned into a goat. Understandably, choosing the first option, she's quickly revered as a saviour amongst that community and seen as somebody who can bring rain to the drought-ravaged land. Uh, but Shula's concerns are much more about a longing for freedom and to be able to go to stall and do normal things that a girl you know, be entitled to do. This is a British independent film, but the vast majority of the film is actually in the local dialect of Inyanja, apologies if I've mispronounced that, with English subtitles, and little bits of the film take place in English, but it's predominantly a foreign language film. This film is from Zambian-born Welsh director Rungano Nioni, who won a BAFTA for Outstanding Davia alongside her producer Emily Morgan for this film. Can you tell us why it's such an accomplished debut feature? Yeah, well, it's a really clever and very delicate mixture of all sorts of things. There's bits of social satire in there, there's magical realism, there's fairy tales, there's a very dark humour, but also a real sense of tragedy. And it's a film that has pointed things to say about cultural superstition and gender. The the accusation of witchcraft um, against Sheila is fairly random, and the film conveys really effectively that the complicated emotions that she experiences and her bafflement when she finds herself called upon to you know, preside over the fate of criminals, for example, because of her supposed magical powers. And it presents a child's perspective on a culture that's full of superstition and ritual, but also it's a film that's advocating for change and education. You know, the filmmakers on record are saying that she felt this was best achieved by telling her story through the eyes of a young person as she feels that people are more willing to change when they have to accommodate a child. So it already sounds like it's trying to do quite a few different things. Yeah. And dark humour isn't something that sounds like this film is going to be when you read the synopsis. No, absolutely. It very much, you go into it expecting a certain kind of film and it's quite jarring initially to have these, you know, you find yourself laughing and you're like, should I be laughing at this? You know, am I being insensitive? Is the film being insensitive? But as the film develops, you you realise it's that, you know, it's very clever satirical street that runs throughout. Um, And it's also a very visually striking film. There's a particularly effective slightly chilling motif in which all of the women in the camp are tied, like literally tied to these extraordinarily long white ribbons, which are then attached to these giant spools. And the idea is that they've they've been attached to the women to prevent them from flying away. And it's a it's a fictitious concept, but it's a very powerful and effective visual representation of, you know, what these women are going through. 
Um, and just finally added to that, you have some really remarkable performances uh, from a series of, I think, entirely non-professional actors and a very intriguing and expected soundtrack that only adds to the sense that this isn't the film you expect it to be going in. Oh, sounds fascinating. Let's hear a clip from the beginning of the film. So, you mean she is not denying that she's a witch? She's not denying, sir. Yo. Listen, has anyone tampered with her or even threatened her? No, sir. Good. But, but sir, huh? um, should we proceed to go to the orphanage? No, 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 no. Listen, don't be fooled. Okay, don't be fooled by these witches, okay? Yes, sir. The witches can be very cunning and deceiving. You understand? Good. You did well to call me off, sir. You did very well to call me. And so stay where you are. I'm coming right there. Let nobody touch her or even just talk to her. Keep her there. I'll be coming, okay? Okay, sir. I'll be coming. You did well. What's your name again? Officer Josephine. Officer Josephine. Yes, sir. I'll be on my way. So, Joe, you talked a lot about different elements of the film there in the first mm. question. But can you say a little bit more about these witch camps and what they are, why they exist? And what is Shula's experience of them? Sure. So although some of the film is fiction, including the use of these white ribbons, these witch camps do exist in parts of Africa. And it's important to say that the director spent a month in Zambia and particularly Ghana at these camps researching before filmmaking began. So it has this you know, grounding in authenticity. Uh, the camps seemingly have two different but equally cynical purposes, I suppose. You know, first and foremost, they appear to be there for tourists. So one of the most striking sequences early on in I Am Not A Wit is where you see hordes of white Western tourists pile off their buses in order to gawp at these women who are in their camps. They've all been made up in white paint and attached to their ribbons, um, and they dutifully perform some kind of ritual for the onlookers. And as soon as this has been completed, the tourists inevitably leave straight away and head off for the next part of their tour, convinced that they've had some kind of, you know, quote-unquote, authentic cultural experience. So there's a sort of a circus aspect to it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's very uncomfortable to watch. Um, and the camp is also a rather cynical and convenient way for families to seemingly rid themselves of elderly relatives who become a financial burden and that's you know a very distressing element of the film um, but it's also worth saying that there's a genuine sense of community amongst the women in the camp and they all look after one another and they look out for Shula in particular she's so young and so vulnerable um, compared to, to all of the others um, her age is particularly striking you know because most of the other witches in the camp are elderly but one of the things I really like about this film is that it's be made with a kind of slightly daringly satirical approach, but it's not one that ever makes fun of the characters or of their beliefs, which is really important, I think. You know, it strikes this very delicate balance between highlighting the inherent misogyny and exploitation in this culture, and it makes some kind of very strident and angry political points. But it's never condescending, and it doesn't give off that impression, which would be so easy to do, that it's a Western audience's being invited to stare at another culture in the same way that we see the tourists doing in the film. So we're always on the side of the characters? Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Um, without giving anything away, it does go into slightly darker territory and the, the ending 
it, you, you may find distressing. So perhaps if you've got particularly sensitive viewer audiences, you may want to check the ending beforehand before screening it to them. We were lucky enough to get an interview with the director of the film, and here she is talking about what she wanted to say with the character of Shula. And I didn't want her to be... Um... I think, well, Shula, all the characters are somehow versions of myself, but with her, I felt like um, she has like an inner strength and, and she's not the typical, because I remember when I was writing it, everyone thought that she should be sassy and like outgoing. And now I was like, but I'm, I, I feel like I'm not like that and it's not really a representation of me and I felt like she can just have an inner quiet that slowly gains strength. And for me, that felt more realistic. So I hope they sort of, for those of us who find it difficult to kind of, uh, be overtly strong and, and like outspoken. Shoot as that person that's like, you know, the quiet hero. Okay, and for film clubs who do watch I'm Not a Witch and enjoy it, mm. what would you recommend next? Well, the first thing to say is if you are watching I'm Not a Witch and enjoying it, and that's fantastic because I think this is one of the more challenging films on our catalogue, as is the Florida Project, which we're going to come on to. So if you're showing this film to young audiences, then that's fantastic and really encouraging. With that in mind, um, I'd recommend a recent film called The Wound, which is a South African drama about a young gay man who has to return to his father's village to undergo this strange cultural initiation designed to turn them all into real men. Um, you may remember a few years ago an American independent film called Beasts of the Seven Wild, uh, which is an Austin-nominated hit about a young girl and her father in an isolated Louisiana community um, as an impending storm approaches. And finally, I'd recommend Embrace of a Serpent, which has the same cinematographer as I'm Not a Witch. And it's this mesmerising, really poetic film about the effects of colonialism in the South American rainforests. And it shares a lot of that kind of tone to this film, I think. Well, you've really convinced me with that. As I say, I haven't yeah. seen uh, I'm Not a Witch yet, so I can't add a recommendation of my own. But Beasts of the Southern Wild also has mm. a fair bit in common with the Florida Project. So moving on to our second film, which is The Florida Project, a film from 2017. It's a 15 certificate again, and we also have it at 14 plus, this time for strong language and sex references. And it's a story all about the magic and innocence of childhood, as captured in a drama which follows the adventures of a spirited six-year-old girl called Mooney across a single summer. This is set in Orlando, just out of sight of Disney World. And Mooney and her friends are irrepressible and they cause chaos wherever they go as they roam around the grounds of this garish roadside motel. And Mooney's 22-year-old mother, Hallie, is barely an adult herself and struggles to keep the kids in check, doing whatever she can to pay the bills from one month to the next. Motel manager Bobby clearly has real empathy for this situation and attempts to walk a fine line between discipline and lenience. So to help set the scene, here's a clip from the Florida Project in which the kids have been told to clean up the car after spitting on it, but managed to rope in one of the other kids into helping them out as their parents argue. Hey, guys, you're having too much fun, and it's not supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be work, okay? So it's get summer, on it. We got it. Get later. on it. Don't worry. Have a good time. It's it was summer. Very what, do you, what do you want? It's very disrespectful. This is not okay. Clearly, we have different What's your name? Jancy. Jancy. What kind of name is Jancy? <laughs> hey, Jancy, it'd be a whole lot easier if someone were to help us. 
So that clip actually reflects the style of the film pretty well. You can hear characters talking over each other. It's quite laid back, easy going. Mm. Um, and that, that does give you a flavour of, of what to expect with The Florida Project. Uh, and the film takes place in a very distinctive environment, um, but it's also a rather contained world. How would you describe that? And what's day-to-day life like for these young protagonists? And could you say a bit more about the significance of Disney World being just over the road? So first of all, it's a candy-coloured motel. Essentially, it's quite an isolated, walled-off community that has a view of the outside world, Mm. though they rarely interact. And so whether the residents know each other or not, this is a community of sorts. And most of them appear to be long-term residents of the motel, making ends meet as much as they can as they battle through poverty and difficult circumstances. Despite this, There's little explicit recognition from the children, at least, that they're ever upset or having a particularly difficult time. That's not to say that the experiences are good for them or that they don't notice it, but we don't really see that on their faces. They roam around the grounds, causing all sorts of trouble. As we heard in the clip earlier, they spit on cars, they trash abandoned buildings, they switch off the power at one point. They do sound... um, quite bad when you describe them but their charm and energy and affection for life is quite infectious and we're very much on their side and that's one of the key strengths of the film and I think one of the things that the film does really well is to balance polar opposite positions so whether it's freedom and confinement or truth and fantasy or adventure and gritty reality childhood and growing up strictness and leniency it puts these together and explores both positions almost simultaneously It does it through the characters, their actions, and the themes. And Disney World being just out of reach is a perfect example of this. So they're so close to the one thing, you know, their dream almost, but it's always just out of touch. Yeah. And that juxtaposition is is a kind of irony that the the film presents to the audience. So it's this utopian idea of Disney World against, you know, their day-to-day reality. Worth saying that I think the name of the motel is the Magic Kingdom, uh, which obviously has links to Disney World. And indeed, the film's title, The Florida Project, was the kind of working title for Disney World when it was originally being conceived. So there are references littered throughout. We have an interview conducted by one of our young reporters with William Defoe, who plays Bobby in The Florida Project. And here he is talking about his experience of filming that movie. How does working with six-year-olds offer you a new acting experience? (laughs) It's actually pretty good uh, because it's not just any six-year-old, it's Brooklyn Prince and she's special. (laughs) Working with kids, uh, you know, a lot has to do with what kind of film you're making and this was made even though we had a very strong script. uh, Sean is real, Sean the director is really good at loosening things up and he really had the kids play, really set them up so they could uh, do things that they enjoyed doing and be who they enjoyed being. But it was good, it was good. I always like to mix it up. And in this situation, the choice to work with non-actors and children, mm. and like people, the, the main actress, uh, Bria, uh, they found on Instagram. It was, it was the right approach for this kind of movie. So the characters have an interesting bond with the motel's manager, Bobby. Um, what's his significance to the story? So Willem Dafoe plays the motel manager in quite heartbreaking fashion, it must be said. He was Oscar nominated for this film and you can really see why. Uh, I think it's one of his strongest performances, certainly that I've seen. Uh, Bobby's responsibility is to keep everything together and that's not limited to 
the state of the motel or, or you know, running mm. affairs. He takes responsibility for the kids and they're just, you know, the tip of the iceberg, really. It's clear that he has real empathy for their situation and Hallie's as well. Um, he's as lenient with them as he can possibly be, but he knows that sometimes he needs to be harsh in order for reality to sink in, really. He does want the very best for these people, but he struggles to make it happen. And I think that's the sort of tragic nature of his, his character and his plight. He doesn't necessarily want to get involved in these people's lives at times, but he feels like he has little choice, it seems to me. And he's also getting it in the neck from his superiors, you know, the owners of the motel. They're very much on at him to kind of deal with these people. They are, they are not sympathetic towards them in the same way that Bobby is. Fantastic. So we've watched The Florida Project. We've enjoyed it. What should we watch next? Well... The most obvious thing, perhaps, is Tangerine, which director Sean Baker uh, made both of these films um, in the last few years, and he's a really fascinating um, indie filmmaker. His previous effort, Tangerine, was shot entirely on an iPhone, a slightly modified one, we should say, but inspirational nonetheless to you know first-time and amateur filmmakers out there, uh, and has that same degree of empathy for its outrageous yet very believable and very humane characters also shares the, the colour palette and the, the amazing cinematography. So I do think this wicked comedy really, really is worth checking out. Tangerine is a 15 and a 16 plus on the catalogue, I should say. Um, another 15 certificate, but we have at 14 plus, is Boyhood. Now, this is a slightly different direction, but I think Boyhood also has a fair bit in common with The Florida Project. Both are obviously studies of childhood, although in very different ways. They are both made by American indie filmmakers. Boyhood uh, is Richard Linklater, of course. And they draw rich and complex characters and constantly challenge what filmmaking can be. So Boyhood is very well known for being made over 12 consecutive or shot over 12 consecutive summers. But it's also worth remembering that Boyhood is a much darker film than you probably recall. Um, Mason experiences his own share of family drama and painful coming-of-age memories um, as a child of Mooney's age. Mm. And lastly, I'd recommend The Selfish Giant, which is based on the short story by Oscar Wilde, and it's a gritty British drama from female filmmaker Cleo Barnard. And again, it has plenty in common, I think, with The Florida Project. This sees two teenage boys in Bradford being left to their own devices, and much like Mooney and her friends, they roam around looking for scrap metal in their, in their case to earn money in what is a very powerful and very beautifully told story. Joe, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Just a couple more. I would throw in Moonlight, which is a story I'm sure you're all familiar with. Um, and it's a film about people on the fringes of American society, you know, made by this young, exciting and innovative filmmaker, in this case, Barry Jenkins. And slightly more left field, perhaps, I would also throw in Magic Might, which has a similar look, I think, to the Florida Project, with all of that Florida sunshine on its lens, as well as this kind of slightly meandering tone to the narrative. And I think, like that film, it's something that's kind of quietly saying something, you know, quite important within the fun of its narrative. And we mentioned that I Am Not A Witch is a BAFTA winner in the Outstanding Debut category. If you want to watch other films which have won this award, we have a film list called BAFTA Outstanding Debuts, featuring films from the likes of Lynn Ramsey and Duncan Jones. 
Okay, so that's everything for today. Thank you very much for listening. We would love to hear your feedback or suggestions for future films or topics for us to cover in these podcasts, either secondary or primary. You can go onto the Interfilm Facebook page or contact us on Twitter at interfilm underscore edu. Or you could use good old-fashioned email and contact us at info at intofilm.org. Do check out our previous podcasts on SoundCloud and iTunes, all of which are accompanied by show notes, which link to resources, including film guides, film lists, blogs, and video content. If you're also interested in primary content, we have a new podcast episode available featuring the film Wonder. We'll be back with a new episode next month, so tune in then.